Welcome to the New England Take in WKXL. I'm your host, AJ Kierstead. Be sure to check out nhtalkradio.com to get the podcast and video versions of the show, as well as New England Take on Facebook and Twitter. We're posting all our, our episodes on demand there as video as well as audio. And you can listen to the show live Fridays at 6 p.m. as well as rebroadcasted during WKXL in the morning that I also host here in the 6 a.m. hour on Tuesdays. We've got a very different interview here on the episode today where I'm speaking to two authors for a book that recently came out called Dirt Road Revival, How to Rebuild Rural Politics and Why Our Future Depends on It. I'm joined today by Maine State Senator for District 13, Chloe Maxman, and Campaign Manager, Canyon Woodward. Welcome both of you to the show. Thanks so much for having us. (laughs) Thank you. I managed to, uh, it happened across your Twitter account last week, Chloe, and just in passings, I followed the the Portland Press-Herald, and I think you commented or something on there. I'm like, oh, that's that's interesting. She wrote a book. I'm actually from China, Maine, which is very close to where you're from. You're from Nobleboro. Uh, so a lot of the towns in in the book were like, oh, I know all these people. I went to high, the, these towns. I went to the, uh, the high school I went to, Erskine Academy, drawn from most of that area. Nice. That's awesome. Yeah, and it's the Senate district. Yes. So the book is really interesting. So I'm a center-right guy. I lean pretty libertarian on many things. So I tend to disagree with many people when they come on the show, whether they're right or left. And um, it was was really interesting to hear the perspective of of the book where you you were trying to – it's a pathway for Democrats to kind of – enter these red districts that they may that they've completely abandoned i mean when you look at the the way that politics nowadays is handled by the by the parties is the democrats ignore rural america and the republicans ignore urban america and i think that's part of the reason why we're in such a toxic polarized environment and i'll start with you chloe it seems like that was a lot of what you experienced on the onset of your uh, house campaign to start off with yeah, you know, I growing growing up here in Nobleboro, I rarely remember conversations about politics, let alone contentious ones. You know, my, my earliest memories are more disappointment in politics, like watching Bill Clinton get impeached. But it, growing up in this community, it was just so values based. Are you a good person? Do you show up when someone is in need? And it really wasn't until I got to college that politics became something that was really polarizing. And even when we started running our campaign in 2018 and I had access to the voter database, you know, I, I'd look up some folks and I was like, oh, wow, everyone I know is a Republican. But it, it just didn't even cross my mind genuinely. And then when we started having conversations with people, I think I it, it was really clear both how quickly both sides judge someone with a different letter next to their name, but also how much space there is to have a conversation and and how much we do have in common. And I think that's really the only way that I can think of to fight this toxicity and this polarization. Um, You can't do it with a phone call. You can't do it any other way except face-to-face in your community. Canyon, you grew up down in the South. When you both uh, actually met at Harvard, and it, I mean, it, did you experience a very similar ex, uh, experience when you were when you were growing up and beginning to enter the political field after you graduated college? Yeah, I, I think largely so. I I grew up a pretty, I don't know, pretty disaffected in terms of electoral politics. I it, it felt like something that I wanted nothing to do with. Um, and it wasn't really until 
meeting Chloe and organizing around climate issues and realizing that we we were having no success as a broader climate movement and moving the needle on on legislation in a meaningful way because of our electoral system that's that's when i started to really lean into politics as as such an important tool but as far as yeah as far as everything chloe was describing i think that's spot on folks have such stereotypes of each other on both sides and and the ton of what we're trying to do is just to break through that now the do you feel like the ability to turn around a main district like this is is different from other parts of the country cuz Maine has in New England has a very different culture than many parts obviously and I'd imagine your experience to start with you Canyon on the, on this response it, it, I'd imagine there's a bit of a cultural difference in how to handle these sorts of subjects there's uh, every district is is different every state is different um what what campaigning in the deep south would look like um would be a lot different than than what we did in maine in a lot of ways but i think a lot of the really core tenets of of what we try to do could be transferred to to races anywhere and some of those some of the keys there are one just showing up and being willing to listen to folks respectfully and to connect on shared values as opposed to just leaning into you know what the consultants are handing down what the polls are saying and kind of beating people over the head with policy we really need to to break it down to just fundamental you know what are our shared values where's the common ground and speak in the language of of stories emotions values as opposed to policy that's that's the way to get people engaged and to connect um, and then the other really, really big thing is just investing in grassroots organizing and like it's sure it's way easier to dish all your money out for a television ad in a major metropolitan area. Um, but it's way more impactful to invest in staff to build grassroots campaigns that go door to door and connect with folks face to face. And we can do that anywhere. Chloe, growing up in Maine, I, what was it like going door to door, talking to people? Like that's not that's something very outside the norm ordinarily in in uh, rural New England to to have people do this at all. Like I, I've lived in Concord for a little over a decade now, and it, it was really shocking to me <laughs> to to see such things happen. Uh, how how did that work for you at first? It was a it was a really interesting experience, and. You know, I think I think we're seeing more and more candidates and especially young folks really do a lot of door knocking, not just here in Maine, but across the country and just how and how meaningful that is for people. You know, in my my own personal experience, it was I don't know, it's like a it was a coin with two sides. One side was a little bit heartbreaking, you know, where people I've known my whole life were skeptical about voting for me just because I'm a Democrat and for no other reason. And, you know, or, or where I couldn't even get a conversation started because of, of that D word. And that was really frustrating and sad because, you know, I really, we were both myself and our campaign, our volunteers, we were so genuinely doing things differently and, and we just wanted to start the conversation. But the other side of that coin is that I met so many people who have lived next to, have drove 
driven by their houses my entire lives and have never had, you know, a lengthy conversation with them about politics. And I had some incredible chats with people. I mean, conversations that changed my life, how I view myself and my values, how I view my community, just the patience and kindness that people displayed and taking the time to, to talk with me and to sometimes talk through differences and agree to disagree, sometimes support me. I mean, it was such a meaningful and hopeful experience. And that's really where the book, where the book is, is rooted in that we do have so much space to grow our political engagement and, you know, what does that mean? And, and what does that look like? Something that wasn't terribly surprising to read in the book is the very corporate nature of even the state party uh, when it comes down to it, is we have these specific rules, we have these specific talking points, you're going to use our list, and if you go outside of that, we're going to question how much we're going to support your campaign, which is problematic for independent candidates, independent thinking candidates, sorry, not in, not uh, capital I, independent <laughs> candidates, um, to, to really enter the field and say, I like, I don't exactly agree 100% with it. On the presidential side, like we saw this with Andrew Yang and Tulsi Gabbard for sure, and they ended up getting support from both sides of the party. What was it like in a state race trying to work around this? I don't know which one you might want to dive into that first. Yeah, that's that's a great question. I mean, I I don't think the state parties are, are to blame for that in large part. You know, that's something that has been it's just a culture handed down from the top down uh, all over the country. That's kind of, you know, there's not enough investment in rural politics and in state level politics in particular. So the, you know, the, the state, the state caucuses don't really have the resources that they need. Um, but it is, it is a huge problem how, you know, (laughs) uh, like our, 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 the budget that they suggested we ran was suggested that we, spend almost two thirds of, of our campaign budget on consultants for, for mailers and advertisements and, and whatnot. And we, we chose not to do that. We, you know, I got into graphic design and, and we did everything in house for a ton cheaper. And instead we invested those resources in creating this really huge grassroots campaign with dozens and dozens of volunteers going out and having these conversations and it felt it felt like the community really responded to that in in a big way and i you know it's um it takes a bit of a leap of faith i think for for the party to get on board with with campaigns doing that but um i think what we found is is a super hopeful road forward for for that being a, an effective model Do you yeah, have more on that chloe yeah yeah, if you don't mind, I just I agree with everything that Canyon said and just wanted to add, you know, the folks in the in the state party are working with really good intentions. You know, it's it's definitely nothing against the good work that people are doing. And we you know, we need folks in, in all of these different systems to keep to keep the train moving forward. And so I just wanted to say that and also just add one more qualification, which is that a lot of times the state party infrastructure is there to really support candidates who, um, you know, who, who really need all of those resources and all of these components done for them. We were really lucky in our, in our campaign that we, our, our work is flexible so we could work at night or in the morning. And, you know, we made, we made it work, um, but not, but. And you not, have Canyon. And, <laughs> Just I mean, part, you know, the Canyon also 
worked, worked the whole time and, and got paid through the campaign, you know, so I think it's just, I think the larger question is how do we ensure that, you know, these resources coming down from the state party are actually uh, moldable to all of the different communities. And like Kenyon said, that means more, more resources and more support for the work that they're doing and more investment in grassroots organizing, but not more investment in squeaky toys for my dog. <laughs> So speaking to the authors of Dirt Road Revival, uh, dirtroadrevival.com, Main State Senator for District 13, Chloe Maxman, can and campaign manager Canyon Woodward. So this is mainly for you, Chloe. On uh, What's it like being a Democrat representing a very conservative district at the state level? Because obviously you have to – you, you have to find a line somewhere in the middle between your personal ethics and the, the party you're on, on the ticket under and the interests of your constituents because they definitely do not line up 100%. And you discuss that in the book a bit about how you have to uh, just be sure that you're, you're finding that, that, have, that medium in there. That's a really good question. You know, I, I've knocked about 20,000 doors in the past two cycles and I I'm really in touch with my constituents in my community. And that helps me maintain a pretty good sense of where, of where people are at and what folks are thinking. And so that's been really important. And so I, you know, I, I don't think I'm, I'm not, I'm not far off. You know, I, I really do want to represent my community and my community's interests. There are many times when I haven't voted party line in order to really do that and to match the values of our community here. That's been really important to me. Every piece of legislation that I've sponsored is something that I've heard directly from constituents. I, you know, I have declined to sponsor bills that I haven't heard from folks at the doors about, you know, or that don't directly impact my community. Um, you know, and I, I think there's this other, I, I feel like there's lots of spaces in politics where we expect it to be um, like not really human. You know, I don't agree 100% with anyone in my life, but we expect to agree 100% with our politicians. And I think that's really dangerous because that really puts it on the polarizing ideological lines. You know, you'll agree 100% with maybe a hardcore Dem if you're a hardcore Dem and the same if you're a hardcore Republican. And so I think it's important to have that nuance in our voting and make, and more importantly, you can have that nuance if you have the relationship with your voters where you can go to them and say, Hey, this, you know, this is my thinking. This is why I voted this way. You know, this is my job to look at this stuff 24 seven. And I thought about it really thoroughly. Um, and those relationships come from strong movement building and strong campaigning. So you know, I always go back to you. I'm not so afraid to take a vote because I have faith that I can go back to my people and say, hey, this is this is what was up. Um, and I've done that quite a lot. And that's kind of the importance that I, I feel is really important that you, you guys wrote this book is because you, it, you can't outline it in a tweet like there's a reason why i i also format my radio show to not be a two minute uh youtube clip that just goes up it's like no there's a lot to this we i probably don't agree on 75 percent of the politics that, that the two of you you on you honestly hold and also on the other side chloe you don't you need to you don't get to necessarily uh vote along the lines of everything you personally believe i mean canyons you you've been outside the state working with other campaigns and, and such a bit i mean are you seeing very many candidates kind of dive into this at all and consider this or are we still kind of at the 
the very beginning of what we're hoping is a, a grassroots shift? That's a good question. You know, I don't, uh, I don't have, I don't have a ton of experience with to speak for, for the experience of, of legislators and in, in other States. I think it's, I think it's a shared responsibility between, between the legislators and, and doing that outreach and also to a large extent, all of us too, of, of being more engaged, not just during election cycles, but while the people that we elect are in office, you know, it's really easy to just tune out after we elect folks and, and our, our voice really doesn't, not to everyone, but there's a, a lot of really good representatives out there who, if you take the time to get in touch and talk to their staff, talk to them, you know, the voice of their constituents really does have an impact on the way that they legislate. And I think a lot of people either don't realize that or just don't take the time to engage that way. Yeah, it's like I've been very fortunate here in New Hampshire as we got the New Hampshire primary. So many of the presidential candidates come through and the ones that honestly talk and listen to the people that they interact with um, do do better. I, I mean, ultimately, they might necessarily pull in the vote that they necessarily have. But, you know, to as a, as a journalist going forward, say, OK, this is a person to probably keep an eye on to, to see what happens. And they're they may end up a pundit. They may end up in some of as assisting other candidates as they come through because that matters. I mean, that's that's what Obama did. And it's what Biden did is really show the empathy side of things, which which played well. And ultimately, the district you represent, Chloe, went from Obama to Trump because they felt like they weren't being heard. I mean, the Trump was a symptom of what was going on. It just as Obama was a more positive symptom, I, kind of, you probably find a little problematic way of phrasing that. But uh, as a conservative, it, it, it was. I mean, I think that goes back to that that idea of values that we were talking about before. You know, how many times? I, I mean, I know Kenan can speak to his own experience um, in in the Carolinas working on this, but you know, from my conversations, how many people were willing to vote for me and for Trump and for Bernie? And the uniting theme was we need something different. We feel really left behind and unrepresented, and you know, we value our dignity enough to try and find a candidate who who is going to to look, act, and be in office differently. So I think, you know, I, I think that does make, it makes a, a lot of sense to me. And, and and also just, you know, I think we often so vote based on our emotions, which is really not a bad thing because these issues that we're talking about are so deeply personal. They impact almost every aspect of our lives. And so, you know, I think we often discount it as like, we need to vote on policy and who's going to put, put forward the best policy solutions. But instead, there's so much space to focus on. They make you feel like you just said, did they value you? Did they talk with you? Do you feel like they heard you? Thank you so much to both of you. Canyon Woodward, who's a campaign manager and Maine State Center for District 13, Chloe Maxman. They have recently, just last week, released a book called Dirt Road Revival, How to Rebuild Rural Politics and Why Our Future Depends on It. Dirtroadrevival.com. I don't care what side of the aisle you, you're on. Uh, I suggest you check it out because it's a very interesting perspective into uh, rural politics. And ultimately, I think it carries over 
to urban politics also for if you're on the other side of the aisle. It's important that uh, the parties look outside the mold and make sure they're representing the people all the way across this country, not just in limited jurisdictions. Thank you both so much for joining me. This is the New England Take on WKXL. I'm your host, AJ Kirsten. We'll be right back.